Lord, as we come before you in this time and just invite everyone to continue to be aware of what's going on in your heart. Where's your mind right now? Where's your mind going? And it shouldn't surprise you if you have a hard time focusing. It shouldn't surprise you if you have a hard time surrendering to the gaze of Jesus. There's always going to be a a, a, a fight in, in surrendering to the love of the Lord. And we've discussed a little bit about pride. Um, and again, these are just things you can take into your own prayer, right? And you can continue your reflection in your personal prayer time. So we did pride, we did anger, and we did lust. Um, and if you think these are sins... Um, choices we make to not let Jesus live. So pride's a choice to not let Jesus live. And it's always rooted in a fear. Lust is a choice to not let Jesus live, rooted in a fear. Anger is a choice to not let Jesus live, rooted in a fear. Perfect love casts out fear. So we might ask the questions, what am I afraid of? Are you afraid to let Jesus expose your, your heart to you, your, your thoughts to you? And I'd encourage you to get, get, give yourself permission to get in touch with the resistance in you. You know, there's resistance in us all. And that's what the, the fear is. It's the resistance to, to let the Lord show us what's going on in our hearts and in our minds. And you know, and I'll just be honest with, you, honest with you myself. I have a hard time sometimes identifying with pride, identifying with uh, anger, identifying with lust. And what I mean by that is um, seeing it. I can't see it. And, and it's not because I don't have it. It's because I'm afraid. And I'm afraid because I don't know Him. That's why daily prayer life is so important. Because we come to know the love of Jesus through a daily prayer life. So as we continue, I'm going to invite um, Jessica Carey up. And she's a... Um, an oblate at Pro Sanctity, um, and uh, she's going to share with us about the sin of avarice or greed. Um, and and uh, after she does her sharing again, we'll have about 15 minutes of quiet, and then we're going to move into lunch. Um, so again, be attentive to the movement within, as what's shared is shared. Be attentive to your inability to always see the sin in your life. And ask the Lord questions. Go deeper in your journaling. Why can't I see pride, Lord? Why can't I see anger? Why can't I see greed? Why can't I see lust? Why can't I see these sins? What's wrong, Jesus? Can you please help me? Begin a conversation about that resistance within you. And again, this is why the silence 
after each reflection is important and in obviously it's just a short period but in our daily lives because without that silence there's no way possible that the Lord can show us um, what he wants to show us he wants to heal us he's the divine physician so I'm going to invite um, Jessica up, up now um, to reflect with us a little bit on the, the capital sin of avarice Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens, as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him. I just invite you to listen to this as I pray it again from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Notice what strikes your heart, what catches your attention. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavens, as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, to be holy and without blemish before him. Father Michael just invited us to consider the role that fear plays um, as we listen to um, the reflections today, as we listen to Christ in our heart, and it's really true that fear undergirds every single sin, everything, um, because there's a fear that we have not received what it is that we're made for, that we have received every spiritual blessings in the heavens. And only when we're not attentive to that, not receptive to that, not aware of that, do we try to grasp it for ourselves. And this is the oldest story in the world. The temptation of the serpent in the garden was if you eat this fruit, you will become like God. He said this to the man and the woman who were made in the image and likeness of God. Something they already possessed. So only when we forget what it is that we've been given and who it is that we are, do we try to grasp for ourselves what we desire, which is everything. We were made for the infinite for the fullness of life, for perfect, total, complete happiness for all eternity. Today's gospel was to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. God commanded that. He created us, and if he expects that of us, he has to make that our capacity to become perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, to receive the fullness of God. And so as we talk about the deadly sin of avarice, we talk about it in three different aspects. Uh, most commonly we consider it in terms of money, greed um, of money, of financial resources. But I'm going to talk about it also in terms of time, 
and grace. First Timothy says that for the love of money is the root of all evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. It's good for us to remember that scripture is not superfluous. There's not some things in scripture that are like, eh, well, he didn't really mean that. Nope. Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And scripture is the word of God. It's how we are communicated the truth of Jesus Christ. So it's good for us to pay attention to what scripture says what it actually says. This is a little over the top, don't you think? The root of all evil. One of the things about money that we tend to forget is that it's one of those things that don't really have an end in itself. One of the images that kept coming up as I was thinking about this talk was Scrooge McDuck from DuckTales, okay? It's a room full of money, goes swimming in the money, okay. That all those coins become a swimming pool, some sort of end in themselves, not used for anything, not for the sake of anything, just to sit in that room. This is completely distorted. Amanda and Jeff were talking about looking at the end, looking at the person for the sake of the person. This is the place that we have to continue to look in regards to the temptation, to the sin of greed or avarice. Our gaze does not change. It's still on God and others. And so any time that money or wealth has as its goal or focus anything else besides the glory of God and other people, it's distorted from its true purpose, its true good. This is actually uh, a sin that's very prominent and something that we do well to reflect on as a society because it has a lot to do with our social doctrine. The right ordering of goods, property. The church teaches us that property and goods, that we have a right to do it and we have a duty to protect that right. But that duty and right of possession is limited. And the church says so much as it's limited for us personally as long as it's serving the common good. As long as our possessions are constantly in the service of the common good. 
Now, this is fundamentally different from socialism because it's still our freedom, that our freedom isn't taken away. Our own discernment, our own generosity. But that we have a duty to look outward and know that what we have received, what we have worked for, what we have been given, is for God and others. Vatican II talks about the evangelical councils. Poverty, chastity, obedience. We always think of these in terms of consecrated life. But Vatican II said some really radical things. It said every single person in the whole history of the world is called to be a saint. That this is why we were created. And that we all have the call and the duty to live as fully as possible the evangelical counsels. They're evangelical because they follow Christ's example in the gospel. That he lived a life of chastity, of poverty, and of obedience. And so to imitate Christ, we want to receive these gifts of chastity, poverty, and obedience every single person according to our proper state in life. To have that mentality to become stewards of what's entrusted to us rather than possessors. That's in simplicity how we live the vow of poverty. That we don't ever possess anything. When I joined the Apostolic Oblates, um, one of my great delights was that I was never going to have to balance a checkbook ever again. <laughs> There's total freedom in the vow of poverty. Get a little cash every month for needs and expenses and give it back at the end of the month. That's it. Now Jesus is laughing at me because I am the financial administrator of our retreat center and our capital campaign. But <laughs> none of it's mine, so it's still beautiful. But that difference in our heart, whether we possess something or whether we are called to administrate it. Catholics give less than 1% of their total income to the church. One percent. One of the interesting questions that we can invite ourselves to ponder, why is that? One of the things they teach nonprofit organizations and parishes and different groups and organizations this sort of transparency, showing your donors and your beneficiaries where the funds are going, what it's for, how you're, how you're stewarding what you're being given. And that encourages people to be generous. This is a good practice. But perhaps we trust ourselves to be a better steward than the church. 
are some really good reasons to do that. Maybe you're really savvy. Maybe historically there's been really poor decisions made. But there's a certain freedom that comes when we entrust our lives to the person who loves us most. That habit of guarding and protecting ourselves in a very simple and practical way by almost carelessly abandoning this very practical thing that gives us all sorts of stability and control. We don't know what's going to happen. It's no longer our decision. Out of our control. Even the practice of giving generously financially in a way that's maybe even a little reckless can create a habit in our hearts that allows us to abandon ourselves in other situations, in other circumstances. We want to, we desperately need to be totally, recklessly, it's not really reckless because Christ loves us completely, abandoned to the Lord. And every way that I can concretely and practically do this in my daily life, in every area, gives me greater freedom to abandon my will, my plan, to him. Knowing only that he promised to take care of me and to draw me to the Father. But maybe not knowing anything else. I used to work at the Institute for Priestly Formation, and primarily for Deacon Keating. He's a writer, and I was his editor. And perfectionism is an ideal quality in an editor. Not so much in a life of holiness. Perfectionism in the sense of controlling and accomplishing it, doing it on my own. And so I would tease him sometimes and tell him that I was trying to become a recovering perfectionist. He said, don't recover too fast because I have more books. <laughs> but today's gospel, to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. We can't do that. Only Christ can. But he gives us the freedom to stay in possession of ourselves or to give ourselves to him. And one very practical way we do that is to trust in God's divine providence. To be generous in those places where I tend to want control. And we as Americans, in the great richness that we have this tends to be a real area of control often under the guise of prudent responsibility 
which is true if that's what the Lord is calling us to. So a question that we want to examine ourselves in is, am I really trusting in God's divine providence? Now, if you're a father of five, that's part of your consideration. There's a responsibility there for those entrusted to you. So long as that responsibility is exercised in relationship with the Heavenly Father and His care for your children, for your family. So there's a communion and an invitation to be in relationship with the Father. Am I trusting in God's divine providence or am I trying to take care of myself? One great way to look at this is take a look at credit card statement, checkbook. There's a little circle here under money, time, and grace. And if you divide that up into a pie and look at the percentages, don't want to do this now, but it can be a helpful exercise, sort of examination of conscience. Where's that going? What are the choices that we make? Money and time are two things that, if we don't decide what to do with them, it's decided for us as we go about our day. We move on to time. It's a precious commodity. Nobody has enough. Somebody were going to offer you extra three hours in a day, what's that worth to you? We spend our time for money. Or for other ends. Sometimes we have excessive control over our time. Other times we waste it. happens when we plan our day just so and somebody comes in and needs something that's just not in our schedule today are we free enough to look at that person that relationship that end in itself that person or Do we look at this problem to solve so I can get back to my schedule? How do I use my time? How much of my time is spent working? A good, but not the greatest good? Americans work more hours than almost any country in the whole world. How much of my time is spent for others? 
as Father invited us at the beginning when we talked about pride, that caring for ourselves. How much time is given to God? Every single day. And who gets our best time? Finally, grace. We tend to think about grace. Already talked about forgiveness. Part of a grace. As something, we think about it as limited. I have this much grace for this. I have this much forgiveness for you. I have this much gentleness for you. But if you push me past that, it's all gone. This much patience here. And after that, it's just a little too much. But if we start thinking that we can divide up and dole out hope in other people, understanding, patience, availability, generosity, into percentages, then we are not imitating the lavish, super abundant, infinite gift of Jesus Christ. We don't have 100% to work with. We have infinite. But if we're trusting in ourselves, we have way less than 100%. Like maybe 4%. But if we're first giving God his time to love us, to reveal to us his infinite love, then our little percentage can enter into the infinite grace of God. And our patience can become infinite. Our gentleness, our hope that other people can change. Because I, quite frankly, found out that God can change me. have the opportunity to uh, talk with many mothers through retreat, spiritual direction. And lots of mothers think that they're impatient. Very few mothers are in fact impatient. Mothers have patience that is extraordinary, exquisite, amazing. They at times feel impatient. Usually what's under impatience, my child didn't do this, he knows better, he should have done that. I asked him five times. 
what if your child knows better? And he should have done that. And you already asked him. And he didn't listen. You're probably a terrible mother. And your child is probably doomed to hell for eternity. That's a really scary thought underneath. Go pick up your toys. It's fear. The only time we can't be as generous as God is when we are afraid. But he invites us to remember the back of your sheet. There's a few different scripture passages to pray with. Pay attention to the last one. It's in bigger print. Over and over, God repeats that he has given us infinitely more than we can possibly ask or imagine. It's from St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that he may grant you in accord with the riches of his glory, the riches of his glory, infinite, superabundant, never-ending, all of heaven and earth, source of all life, of every moment, source of all creation. It's a lot. That he may grant you in accord with the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner self and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Not sometimes, not a little bit. Live, take up residence in our heart. He is very persistent. He's not going to move out every time we turn away, every time we don't receive or respond. Dwell for all eternity. We are baptized. That mark is there forever. We are a son or daughter of the Heavenly Father forever. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the holy ones what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This isn't something we have to go do. It's something we've already been given. Now to him who is able to accomplish far more than we ask or imagine by the power at work within us to be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. God wants to give us himself. We ask for much smaller things.
We can't even imagine how much God gives us. So that means everything that we can imagine, wanting, desiring, needing, we need to ask for in the confidence that Christ wants to give us infinitely more. And has already given it to us. And comes at every moment to give again anew. And so, as we pause in this time of prayer, I invite you to notice where your heart is drawn. Any place that there is a sense of stress or tiredness or weight or weariness, these usually indicate that we are trying to be in control. Any place you feel overwhelmed or hopeless, anything you're avoiding, to ask God to expand our imagination so that we can be as generous as he is. With our money, with our time, with the life of grace that he has flowing through us. We ask you, Lord Jesus, to teach us trust totally and completely in the love of our Heavenly Father who has only good things to give us. In the name of Jesus Christ our Lord.